Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book to Earth, Chapter 19, The Guru. We are we are in the really, really, really like end of the home stretch of uh, of season two, book two of of Avatar. Uh, and this is I feel like we are just I mean, we're, we're, we're just th- the, these last few episodes are just setting up and propelling us to this big moment really in a in this is so much better than the end of season one. Season one ended with this like double episode set piece of the the siege of the north. Um, but this uh, this I feel like like they've been laying the track for this in for probably like 10 episodes ever since Toph showed up I feel like it's like yep but even even before that right because the the is it the first episode of this season is the avatar state is that right yeah yeah where so where we learn about the avatar state and we learn Uh the power and danger of it and now we're all the way back there in this uh in this episode learning more about it and um, Aang is learning to do for real what they were trying to do in episode one. So like, it's this beautiful full circle as well. Plus we get all these characters that were introduced or that have been on these journeys. Uh, the best part of this episode is everyone is moving. It's like, it's like there is a, a not, not even bossing say, but like a spot on the ground in bossing say, and everyone's storyline is moving towards that spot. Everything's converging on that, which makes me so excited for uh, chapter 20, because you know, that's when they all get there, but this one, everybody is moving in that direction. So, uh, so this is, this is pretty exciting. I totally agree. I love, I never thought of it as kind of bookends of the season of talking about the avatar state. Cause we haven't really gotten that many answers in the in-between, but now it feels like, the next episode, there has to be something with the Avatar state after all of this groundwork is laid this episode. And I also agree, like, especially for me, once we got into Bossing Say, it felt like the anticipation has just been building and building and building. And I cannot wait to watch the next episode. I haven't watched it yet since the last time I watched this a long time ago. And I, I'm really excited. So should we... Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, let, let's ahead. get into let, let's get into. It. I was thinking about the I was thinking about the Avatar state. I just want to say um, the other thing that that's really interesting about the tension here is it's like there's two versions of Aang's potential arc. There is the Aang as Avatar, Master of the Four Elements, which he's on that arc, and then there's also this Avatar state arc, which seems like a like an Avatar hack. Like mm-hmm. oh, or you could just do this and be and and harness the thousands of years of avatar history all coming together and so it's like there's both of those so i'm curious maybe i'm getting out in front of my skis here and we should get into the summary but i'm curious in season three how much there's going to be a tension between am i ang the avatar master of these things or am i the sum total of the history of the avatar and because because there is i mean as a, a fan of the show we talked in earlier uh, in season one about sort of uh, overpowered Aang, undefeated Aang, where it's like he's just, he's already the most powerful person, so they have to find tensions for him. And then it's like he has this level-up state where it's like he's just the most powerful being in this that can harness... But I loved at the beginning of the season they introduced, yes, that's there, 
but it's tricky to get to and dangerous to be there. And now we're going to learn more about it. So let's let's jump into the summary uh, and uh, and talk about this episode. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one point on that, I think it feels like what you were describing is almost like an Aang who has to decide between being human Aang and being God Aang, right? Like, it really feels oh, yeah. like that. Like his humanity, especially in this episode, we'll talk about that, like things like love and attachment and um, shame and all of these parts of him that can block his access to being godlike, like being the avatar and the savior of the world. It's really fascinating. Um, okay, so let's get into the episode because there's so much and I love this one. I'm also going to say this episode starts out with perhaps my favorite story arc of all of Avatar, which is the the journey, the immigrant journey, the refugee journey of Iroh and Zuko from being these uh, new people in town, um, fleeing from their place of struggle, um, being accused of being miscreants, of being, of like, agitating the people and then coming up to success it's like seriously the ultimate immigrant story so we start out in the upper ring of ba sing se and zuko wakes up to find that um uncle iroh is cooking breakfast in their kitchen and their place is really nice like it is obviously an upgrade and so zuko asks what his uncle's making and iroh responds with saying juke do you know what juke is sam no i was wondering if this is real is is juke a thing okay at least, um, so juke is a thing in Korean. Uh, so, like, there's a bunch of shops that sell juke. It's just, like, soup or stew broadly. And so there's a bunch of different types of juke. But, yeah, it's, it's like, comfort food or, I don't know. I've always really liked it, just warm, hot, thick soup. Is it, um, general, is it generally regarded as something that's really tasty? or Because Iroh introduces it here as, like, yeah, you're not going to like this. Right. So I can't really speak to it broadly, but whenever I've been like, hey guys, let's go get juke, my Korean friends tend to be like, that's an old person thing to eat. So <laughs> so it's like, I mean, it's it's not like this, but it would be the equivalent of being like, I made oatmeal. And you're like, <laughs> oh my eh. God. And Sam, I love oatmeal. So I feel like, yes, that's absolutely accurate. Um, so Iroh makes juke, feels fitting for him. And he says, I'm sure you wouldn't like it, though. But Zuko is very gracious, and he's kind, and he says, it smells delicious. I'd love a bowl, uncle. And Iroh looks skeptical, which is how I feel in this situation as well, um, at this really overly excited Zuko. And he says, now that your fever's gone, you seem different somehow. And Zuko, I wrote in my notes, because I never thought that I would write this in my notes, But Zuko giggles, and he says, it's a new day. We have a new apartment, new furniture, and today is the grand opening of your new tea shop. Things are looking up, uncle. Positive. Positive Zuko. What is that? Yeah, and it's almost, even like the tone of his voice is different. Um, I thought about, as I think about this scene, you know, you are also in uh you're not an immigrant but you're in a new city a new apartment a new a new life like did, did you feel resonances with uh zuko and iroh with you and mike and soul a little bit i hope i i can make my own tea shop the jasmine dragon that would be amazing but yeah no it is true it's like there is kind of a struggle and a scramble and um certainly we have a lot of safety nets um with family and friends but like it feels like a scramble somewhere and you're not really sure where, but you hope you end up in a place that fits you. So it's like, it's really, it is 
a very sweet start to the episode. I love that Iroh gets this dream come true. Um, so we start with that, but then we switch over to Appa who's flying over a shoreline. And he lands near the Water Tribe ship that we saw a couple episodes ago. And we left this last episode um, with the gang splitting up. So Appa is taking Aang and Sokka to their different destinations. Katara is staying back in Ba Sing Se. Um, and Toph was meant to visit her mother, but I believe we figured out she got captured, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the cliffhanger where we ended. So... Uh, now we have Aang and Sokka who are landing nearby this water tribe ship. And Aang says to Sokka that, you know, you must be thrilled that you get to see your dad after two years. But Sokka feels very anxious about it. And he says he's sick to his stomach. And so Aang, his cheerful self, tries to make him feel better, says, you know, you have nothing to worry about. This is your dad. He loves you. And Sokka asks Aang in return then, like, how do you feel about meeting with this guru? And Aang says, I'm ready to master the Avatar state, whatever it takes. So we know right from the beginning, this is all about a journey to try to figure out what is happening in the Avatar state and how can I control myself when I'm in it. It's really interesting to think about this scene because um, if you remember the very end of last episode, Aang and Sokka are flying off and Sokka is, they're celebrating positive attitude Sokka. And it, it is this exact feeling that I remember having this. I still probably still have it now, but as a kid where you're going somewhere and you're so excited, you're so excited. And it's like, the, and then you get to like the threshold of the place you're going. And all of a sudden you're hit with a kind of panic. And it's like, you almost don't want to get there because yeah. it's funny. They've landed, they're sitting on the shore. They can see the water tribe settlement. And it's like, you'd expect Sokka to just be sprinting there. But instead he's like, now hit with the reality that's like he hasn't seen his dad in a long time and he doesn't know what he's going to be walking into yeah and when i mean whenever you've seen or whenever i've like come across a a friend from childhood or something there's all these expectations on both sides of what that exchange is going to look like and that is really scary like i i totally can understand where Sokka's coming from i like that they put this in there yes me too it felt really human very real um, so Aang uh, says goodbye, though. He has to go off to the guru. So he says, I'll see you in a week. I wrote that down because it's always nice to have these time markers, right? And he and Appa then fly off, leaving Sokka on the shore. And Sokka enters the water tribe campsite um, along the shore. And as he does, every man's head kind of slowly turns to look at him. Um, and it feels almost skeptical or cold at first. But then he's greeted with a handshake um, from a high-ranking official. I'm not sure. Have we met this person? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I I couldn't place them. Uh, And then everyone starts to embrace Sokka. They all realize who he is. And the crowd then clears, and Sokka sees beyond them this large tent with a water tribe emblem on it, that moon and the waves that we saw in the northern water tribe. And Sokka walks up slowly to the tent. His face is stoic. He's obviously building up a lot of anticipation in his own body as he's walking towards it. And when he opens the tent, he sees his father looking from this large map with a bunch of war advisors surrounding him. And he smiles and his dad calls his name. And then they hold each other in this really long embrace. And it's very sweet. 
it's just a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's it's sweet that no one had to say anything to. Just his name. Well, and you know, and it reminds me again in last episode, Sokka and Katara needed to decide who was gonna go and get to have this moment. You know, so I also think about Katara in this moment to where she's where because she she's not getting this, right? Her her reuniting with her dad is being delayed because she has to do this other piece. So it's mm-hmm. and, and and she knows how important this moment is for him. Absolutely. So we only get a glimpse. Actually, we do a lot of like whiplash between different stories through this episode. So bear with us as we talk through it. But uh, meanwhile, over at the Earth King's Palace, we get to see uh, a little bit of what's happening uh, with the Kyoshi Warriors or who we thought were the Kyoshi Warriors. Um, So uh, the Earth King turns to, uh, he's on his throne and he turns to his bear Bosco and says, look, Bosco, the Kyoshi Warriors are here to protect us. And as we remember from the cliffhanger at the last episode, the Kyoshi Warriors are not actually them, but they are the three um, Fire Nation girls led by Azula. And they kneel before the Earth King's throne. Uh, and the Earth King starts to like pinch Bosco's face and asks, aren't you so excited? Like you would with a pet or like I probably do with my cat far too often. Uh, but remember, and- Bosco is an enormous bear. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just a bear, not anything else, but just a bear. Um, and he says, it's been a difficult week for me. And he tells uh Azula and these fake Kyoshi warriors, Mei and Tai Li, about the Dai Li and Long Feng's betrayal. Like, he totally just un- kind of unfolds everything that's happened to him. And so, Kyoshi Azula, as I'll call her, says, It's terrible when you can't trust the people who are closest to you. Just nice fraught line. with a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a lot there. And the Earth King doesn't even get any of the hint and says, Uh, But there's good news. As we speak, the Council of Five is planning an invasion of the Fire Nation on the day of the solar eclipse. And Azula's eyes widen, but just for a second. I feel like that's always what we see with Azula. It's like a second of surprise, but she can turn it off really quick. And she says, really? Now that sounds like a fascinating and brilliant plan. So So now she's heard of the solar eclipse. So the Earth King is just like Johnny Exposition here, and he's gonna. <laughs> I love that. It's like the villains show up, and he unknowingly is like, "Let me tell you everything that happened, set the stage for you, and tell you our plan." <laughs> which, which, which is like at one level is like it's kind of ridiculous. Another level, it makes sense. And remember, he's somebody who has really not been trained in statecraft in any of this because he's been hidden behind the Dai Li. So he's. He's oddly this like uh, very naive figure. Yes, and also his only friend and confidant is Long Feng and Bosco, and Long Feng betrayed him. So now he's got a bear. Like this guy's probably thrilled to be chatting with three people, like human beings. So why not say everything? <laughs> and it is it is strange because it's like, and and they 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 do a good job of of getting Katara out of out of here because she's meeting with the um. Uh, she's meeting with the Council of Five, but it is just like, why is Katara not constantly at his side? She yes. she should she should be there. The Council of Five should come to the Earth King. She should never leave the Earth King's side. Right. I mean, you, th- I, yeah. I mean, knowing how naive he is, like 
they played him so well the last episode just by showing him Appa and being like, let's try these different things, but trying to get him to where they want him to be. Like, they know he's gullible. I don't know why that was an oversight in the Aang gang. Uh, so it's, it's, it's part- what I like about this show is that we see on both sides people make tactical errors. We've seen Iroh make tactical errors. We saw Long Fang make tactical errors. Now we're seeing our heroes make this is, I mean, this is a, a this is an own goal for the Aang gang. Like, what are you doing? Everybody leaves the Earth King except Katara, and then Katara leaves him to go be a general. And it's like, no, you. they should it's, come to you. <laughs> every part of their plan in the last episode, and this one is, it's, all of it's a mistake, right? Like, all of it is wrong. <laughs> um, so in another part of the palace, though, we do have Katara, and she has Momo with her. And she sits in front of the panel of these, the Council of Five, um, these high-ranking military officials. And uh, General Howe is speaking. He's one of these council members. And he says, General Fong's base will serve as the launching point for the attack. And he explains this as he moves these pieces on a giant map in front of him, like a a war game, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, planning out, um, scheming. And he says, in exactly two months, the army and navy will invade the Fire Nation on the day of the Black Sun. I love that that phrase is now becoming a thing. (laughs) Good job, Sokka. And as he's moving these pieces, he's doing it through through earthbending. And he bends Earth Kingdom tiles toward the Fire Nation on the map. And as he does so, Momo attacks the Fire Lord piece and starts chewing on it. And Katara laughs and said, or we could just send Momo in to do some damage. And General Howe ignores her, clearly has no joy in his life. I, I and- love I love I love Momo coming in and doing this because it actually is what Avatar State Aang would be like. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> oh, like yeah. Because, like, you could send an army or you could have Avatar State Aang, who would be... I mean, think about when we saw him at the North Pole. Like, he really was this just, like, thing that towers over cities and destroys everything in its wake. And it's like, yeah, Momo is actually... You know, and if Momo has these ties to Roku and things like this, maybe that's a a foreshadowing moment. (laughs) That's awesome. I never thought of it like that. That's amazing. Yes, for sure. Um, and General Howe sends a scroll to Katara um, through Earthbending, and he tells her that all they need for this plan to, to go through is the Earth Kingdom's seal. And so Katara agrees to go fetch the seal from the Earth King uh, immediately. I think their procedure is, uh, like, it's, again, why, they, why is the Earth King not just here? Or, or why are they not with the Earth King when he says all we need is him to sign off on this, it's just like, <clears throat> I feel like there's way too many procedures involved here, which fits with bossing say, this is what they do. So it's like, <clears throat> they need to clean, they need to clean that stuff up. I also love that uh, <clears throat> talking about things that come full circle, that they're talking about general Fong's base. And it's like, that's where we started this season. So it's not just, it's not just a reference to, this new thing they're introducing but it's like oh yeah we've been there and we know that they're kind of the people on the front lines of this war and so of course yeah. that's where you would you would jump off from it's also an interesting episode <clears throat> if you look at it from the perspective of like where are the women <laughs> i always think that's an interesting question and uh qatar is the only woman in the room in the council of five in the water tribe uh they're all men i don't think mm-hmm. i saw one woman there no, because um, it was the men that left, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, 
we have the Kyoshi warriors later, we'll see them doing very menial tasks uh, rather than, I mean, they're the fake Kyoshi warriors, right? But still, I mean, if you assume that they have these abilities and yet they're put to tasks that are not involved in war planning and advising. And so this episode to me felt like, I really like this episode, but it's nice to have a character that I feel like I can relate to a little bit more. And just the women in this episode just weren't, weren't really there. Like they just weren't really written in. And I think maybe that's a bigger point to how wars are fought and who's in charge and moving these pieces. But maybe that's just me projecting. No, absolutely. It also, because they're not there until they are, because we're going to see one woman at the end level up. Um, (laughs) It also makes me think of like Operation Overlord too. This also feels like planning the D-Day invasion, right? They're like, we have this thing and it's like, we're going to, it's sort of, it has those, um, it has that kind of like, both optimism but also like here's our hail mary we're gonna we're gonna try to make this work and i i don't know um what the last time two times i was in europe we went to normandy and actually studied the d-day invasion and like and it makes me think of like what a uh miracle it was that that something like that actually tactically worked because there's a million things that could go wrong so i'm looking at them planning this invasion and it's like uh, i don't know (laughs) you know except that i know that that like the avatars involved so we got a shot although they're not talking about the avatar they're talking about the earth kingdom forces right the navy and the army yep um so then we move out to appa and ang who are flying through this golden fog it's beautiful up high and there's these tall kind of abrupt mountains and it's on the way to that air temple where the guru is and i i described it as kind of reminding me of the bay Uh, in Vietnam with those tall striking mountains that are coming up out of the water. Um, And Aang sees structures on one of the tallest mountains. And as Appa approaches, he sees the guru sitting on top, cross-legged in the middle of a peak that's kind of carved into this flat circle. And Aang um, dismounts Appa and approaches on foot. And he asks if Guru Patik um, if that's who he is, the one who left the note with Appa. And Patik opens his eyes slightly and says, Indeed, I was a spiritual brother of your people and a personal friend of Monk Yatso. And Aang asks how the guru can help him gain control of the avatar state. And Patik responds, You must gain balance within yourself before you can bring balance to the world. And the first step begins with drinking this. And he hands Aang a bowl of yellow liquid, which Aang guzzles down, but then immediately spits out and he's disgusted. And he says something like, this tastes like onion and banana. Like, what is this? And Patik says like, oh, it is. you're right. Like, it's onion and banana juice. And apparently it's like one of his favorites. And this just becomes a running joke throughout the whole rest of the episode. They always come back to like, all Aang has eaten with Patik is onion and banana juice. What do you make of that? I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's just meant to be a, a goof, <laughs> right? Like, is it just a joke or is there something? Yeah, I was thinking about it this morning and I was I was trying to think about, you know, one of the things that uh, seems to be a message. This is an overreach of what I'm about to say. It seems <laughs> to be a message in this show is that <clears throat> there is all these different powers in this in this show, but real the the sort of real power comes in the harmony of these 
things that don't fit that 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 we that we look at as these kinds of opposites and we're going to see that patik is definitely going to talk about the interconnectedness of all things and that all things that seem different are really one so i wonder if the idea of like you couldn't think of two flavors that would go together less but it's like yeah somebody who actually is a uh in tune with the oneness of everything would be like, well, why wouldn't these two flavors go together? I also think about, I think it's interesting that we have um, two of our wise characters in this show, the guru and Iroh being people who make drinks for people. So <laughs> I don't, I, that thought just came to mind right now. I don't know what to make of that, but, but I, I, I wonder about the significant, I think it is a joke too, but, but I, I sort of wonder about, yeah, the significance of that, of, no, of I love that. Banana. And and there is a point where Aang, I mean, he makes he like makes comments about how gross the onion and banana juice is for so long. But then, as he spends more time with the guru, he like he actually requests it later. And uh, there is discussion of these things that are separate that we that appear different, but in reality are one and the same. And uh, no, I you know what? What are we here for, Sam? Other than overreach and <laughs> speculation, that's, right. Right? that's our job here. So, the other thing, the other thing we learned from this scene is how old Patik is. That if he's a friend of of Gyatsu, I mean, that means he's oh, he's significantly older than Aang probably because he probably wasn't a small child when he knew Gyatsu. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting. That there, he's like Boomy, another one of these characters who's. Uh, far older than we maybe realize. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so <laughs> then we switch out of that scene to Toph. And we left her in this giant metal box that we've seen before, like the bounty hunters, Jinfu, Master Yu, kind of the folks from where Toph is from tend to use these metal cages or these metal boxes to, um, to withstrain earthbenders. And uh, they meet this fork in the road, and uh, Yu and Jinfu can't decide which direction leads them to the Beifong estate. And so they start to bicker like an old married couple. And Toph is in the metal cage in the back of the carriage. And so they come to a halt, and Toph yells over their bickering, Hey, can you two old ladies quit your bickering for a second? I have to use the bathroom. And Master Yu becomes uncomfortable. He's like, oh, yes, I guess I forgot that you might need to use the bathroom. And says, like, why don't you go quickly? But Jin Fu senses that Toph might be scheming. And this whole time, he's really, he thinks that she's trying to trick them. Though they're the ones, really, that tricked her. And so he doesn't allow her to leave. It also seems like there's a little bit of genderedness in this, too, of, like, oh, like the lady needs to use the bathroom. And they're kind of like, you know, get it over with. Like, there's just something about that that I feel like it would be different if it was a male character. Oh, yeah. There's almost an element from, at least from Master Yu, that's like, ooh, this is kind of icky to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is kind of scandalous. <laughs> um, and so she says, let me out so I can kick both your butts. So, yeah, she was. I guess, scheming. And Jinfu says, you might think you're the greatest earthbender in the world, but you can't bend metal, right? Like, they got her. And uh, they continue on their path, but inside the container, Toph raises a hand to touch the metal in front of her. And at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, like, we need to see this happen, right? Um, so then we go to... Uh, a home in the upper ring of Bossing Say, and May and Tylee are sitting... Uh, in this vanity and removing their warrior makeup. 
And Azula is pacing the room in front of them. And she says, we've been presented with an extraordinary opportunity, girls. And Tylee says, May finally gets to wear makeup. That's not totally depressing. And May kind of like fake laughs with mascara running down her face. I like this. I like their relationship. Yeah. I like that That for May's sake, the what her makeup looks like at this point is like she's bleeding out of her eyes, which for a goth kid like May, like that works. I also love that Ty Lee can make fun of May in that way. May's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I'm still yeah, I feel like May. I feel like May has gotten cooler. Like as a like, because at first she was just very like almost like painted as overly angsty. But now I feel like she's she's more like aloof, but mm-hmm. but like commenting and funny. And I, I actually I we've in some of the interviews we did early in the season, people talked about liking May, and I was like, really, you just like the angsty person but i now i get it like i kind of i kind of kind of dig her she's pretty cool yes yeah, she, she adds some humor that's a really different flavor from everyone else too so uh azula says i'm talking about conquering the whole earth kingdom for 100 years the fire nation has hammered away at bossing say from the outside but now we are on the inside and we can take it by ourselves we're in perfect position to organize a coup and overthrow the earth king the key is the dai li Whoever controls the Dai Li controls Bossing Say. Now, what really interested me about this and about this whole story arc is <clears throat> one of the, the first thing we learn about Azula from um, from Zuko twenty episodes ago when he's talking with Aang at the North Pole is like how everything comes easy to her, right? That she mm-hmm. it just seems like she lives this charmed life and everything comes easy to her and he's had to work and grind and all these things. This is an example of that, right? Think about this. Iroh laid siege to Bossing say for six hundred days, right? Zuko is grinding his whole life out trying to restore his honor and capture the avatar there's the the earth or the fire nation has for a century tried to crack into bossing say and it's almost like she stumbles into it you know and it's it, it it just like it's it's it and there's all kinds of stories like this in life where like you're you're looking at people who are trying 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 and then when it finally happens it's like oh that person it just like it's not that they're better. It's like right place, right time. But this is also how history is written too, right? It's not like, it's not always the greatest people who end up being the people who win the day and their name echoes through history. But sometimes it there is this element of like luck and right time, right place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like it could have happened to anyone, but it fell into her hands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll make I'll make one weird analogy, and this is a this is a um, you and I both like late night uh, talk shows, right? We we talk about this, right? <clears throat> so f- throughout the late '80s and through the '90s, there was this big sort of battling over who was going to replace Johnny Carson to host the Tonight Show, and there was I mean it was David Letterman and Jay Leno, and and to the point where Letterman ends up leaving NBC, and there's like there's books and movies about this. And then there's the question of, you know, Conan O'Brien wants to be the person who will succeed Jay Leno. And then Jay Leno takes it back. Right. And so there's all these like powerhouse late night hosts. Right. Who hosts the Tonight Show right now? Is it Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon? Fallon? Yeah, it's yeah. Jimmy Fallon's like Azula. Like he just sort of like ended up. It's like, wait, there's all these Titans trying to do this. And then it's like, hey, how did and Jimmy Fallon's great. He's very funny. But it's like, how did you end up with this prize that like 
Conan O'Brien couldn't get. Conan O'Brien's like like uh, like Zuko, and Letterman's like Iroh, right? And and Leno's like uh, like uh, like Ozai, right? <laughs> and Jimmy Fallon's <laughs> Azula, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, he he got it, <laughs> you know? And Car- Carson is is uh, Sozin, you know? So like, if you needed if you needed a late night analogy to think about the fall of Ba Sing Se, there you go. I want a late night show in the world of Avatar. That would be amazing. <laughs> Who would host it? <laughs> oh, oh man. Who would host it? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I Jet maybe. The guy's yeah, got charisma. He, <clears throat> he's pretty slick. I'm gonna actually pitch a sidekick, which is a character you don't like, but I think might work well as actually okay, here it is. We're gonna have Jet host. Okay. Now there's gonna be weird energy to this, but okay, the sidekick. You're, you're not going to like this. The sidekick is Ty Lee. Because oh. I know you don't like Ty Lee, but Ty Lee is like good, smarmy, kind of like the, the sidekick needs to like big up the host and like kind of warm up the guests. And Ty Lee's good at that. But to counteract that, the band leader is May. Oh, because you're getting like, so you're kind of getting both as sidekicks, you know, like, yeah. like May's going to be there to lead the band, but also like take shots at. And kind of observe what's happening on the show. Take shots at, at, at Ty Lee. Ty Lee takes shots back. This is a great nice. show. Oh my gosh! On a competing network, I think it should be Sokka and Toph. Oh I think yeah, they have really good. I think they have great chemistry. Like they're super funny. <clears throat> competing. Oh, network. I like I like that competing a lot. time slot. Same yeah. time slot. Yeah. I actually wonder if we take we could take Jet out and have Azula host that late night show too. I actually think oh, that yeah. would work. Yeah. Yeah, because because you need a host who's really smart. Azula's really smart. She's into politics, but she's into all these other things. Like, I actually would watch that show. <laughs> although, although if we had, so in the Sokka talk show, is it like a like a um, uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, or you know, where it's like think, they're they're hosting together? I realize that's a very old reference. But. No, no, no. I think I think I would want it to be like Jimmy Fallon, where Jimmy like I don't. I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think that he's the funniest person in the world. I'm not super into his humor. I'm like a big Conan fan. Mm -hmm. But Jimmy does those side games well, right? Like hosts Mm -hmm. all those little games and things that become He's made for the internet in that way, yeah. Yes, I think Sokka would be great at that. And then Toph could like sprinkle in her sarcasm here and there. Yeah, I like it. I love it. Yeah. Wow. I love okay. this tangent. <laughs> <laughs> like we said before, we? like we said before, please send your avatar spin-offs to us because we keep pitching gold here. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. It's nighttime in these misty mountains, and Patik is training Aang by a creek deep in a valley. And they keep moving locations for kind of each of these different training um um, sessions. So he says, in order to master the avatar state, you must open all the chakras. And when he realizes that Aang doesn't know what chakras are, he begins to explain it by moving this stick through the water. And it's a metaphor he'll keep talking about when he's explaining kind of the chakra, these energies in the human body. Um, he'll explain it like a creek that flows, right? And that you want your body to be able to have the energy flow through it easily without being blocked. So he says the water flows through this creek, much like the energy flows through your body. There are several pools where the water swirls around before flowing on. And these pools are like our chakras. And Aang says, so chakras are pools of swirling energy in our bodies. And Patik says, if nothing else was around, this creek would flow pure and clean. 
However, life is messy and things tend to fall in the creek. And then what happens? The creek can't flow. And Patik says, if we open the pods between the pools, and he does this with a stick in the water, and it causes this buildup of moss to move and the creek to flow like a small waterfall into another pool below. And Aang this whole time is kind of answering these questions of his teacher, um, getting to this point of saying, ah, I see, uh, you know, the buildup when it moves, we can have this flow. So how familiar familiar are you with the idea of chakras? I only knew of it as like a practice of like an older variant of Hinduism. That's all. Okay. I don't I don't know much else. I know that like <laughs> stupidly this is embarrassing, but <laughs> when I took yoga classes sometimes the yoga teachers would talk about chakra. Oh, absolutely. And I don't even th- I don't that's something to be uh, embarrassed but like like I actually think like that's what I was wondering. Like I know this mm. is a language that gets used there. I actually th- I mean it's just something that I've heard of and was kind of aware of. I was really I really thought this scene is a great piece of teaching. The idea mm. makes so much sense when he shows that and when he opens it up and we see the flow from pool to pool to pool. And it's a it's it's really great visual storytelling. Because we're going to see Aang then do what he, what we just saw with those pools. We're going to see Aang do throughout this episode. This is a brilliant piece of like storytelling filmmaking because they have to teach a, a fairly abstract co- spiritual concept to little kids because they want to apply that concept somewhere else. So yes. I, I really little, thought it was great. And little kids in a, like a Western audience for the most part, at least originally. Right. And, um, yeah, and I want to clarify not to say that using that in the practice of yoga is stupid, it, not at all, right? Like that makes sense with something that is meant to exercise and train your body, but uh, just in the sense of like cultural appropriation in a room full sure. of, of white girls, it can feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Certainly, um, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, later then, oh, this this metaphor is going to keep coming back, but Later, they're in this dark, cavernous cave, and Patik explains the seven chakras to Ing. And he says, each pool of energy has a purpose and can be blocked by a specific kind of emotional muck. Be warned, opening the chakras is an intense experience, and once you begin this process, you cannot stop until all seven are open. Are you ready? And let's sit on that question for a second, because... Uh, when when that happened, I was like, "Oh, so clearly, what's going to happen here? <clears throat> We're going to make some Star Wars references, so buckle up. Clearly, what's going to happen here is that Aang is going to start his teaching, and but there, but because he says once you start, you can't stop, and there's he's going to get interrupted because we know things are going upside down in Ba Sing Se, and something's going to happen that's going to call him back in the middle of it because that's what happens to Luke in Dagobah. I mean, this we've talked about Yodas in this show." Uh, the guru is definitively Yoda, right? Luke leaves his friends to go learn what he needs to learn about the force. Aang, for the first time, leaves his friends to go learn from this, this spiritual teacher to like unlock his potential and his powers. And there's this tension of, do you, in, in Empire Strikes Back, there's this tension of, do you continue your teaching because you need to save the world and bring balance to the force. Sounds a lot like avatar. Or do you go and um, do you go and save your friends and maybe jeopardize your teaching and maybe jeopardize 
the fate of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. those stakes are in Empire. Those stakes are going to be laid out here. And when he said that line, I because I again I don't want to pat myself on the back for predicting a kid show, but but in season one I kept saying, oh, I wonder when we're going to get our Empire moment where it's like where this exact thing is going to happen, and it's happening. Yes, absolutely. And even the way that they uh, wrote the character of the guru, he even kind of sounds <laughs> like Yoda. Like his mm-hmm. humor is kind of silly and um, endearing um, and and kind of just like small one-liners. But um, it, it reminds me a lot of, of what I've seen of Yoda anyway. It's been a while. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the setting itself looks like I mean, I, they're in a swamp, right? Like Dagobah is like a swamp, or at least mm-hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. is like thick forest in the mountains, misty. You can't really see anywhere around you. Um, so they begin by the looking at the Earth chakra, um, which he says is located at the bottom of the spine and deals with survival. So as they go through this process, really what he's doing is he's describing the chakra to Aang. Then Aang has a vision where he tries to open up this part of his, his body, this energy flow in him. And we see kind of the vision from Aang's eyes. Uh, and then Patik kind of narrates him through the process of opening himself up. Yeah, I, so- I, def- I definitely made a chart for this because <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and these are things you're going to say, but if you're if you're sort of tracking at home, what he tells us is what the chakra is symbolized by. So, like the first is the earth, where it's located in the body, what it deals with, and what is the thing that blocks it. So, th- so we want to look at we can think about those four things. And I will say, I did a little bit of research because I was curious. Like, are they just using the language of chakra, or is this actually like? If you look at Hindu Buddhism that that uses these, like these actually align kind of perfectly with the sort of Hindu notions of chakra, even in terms of like earth, water, fire, air, space, like like they they kind of line up that way. And yeah, they did their research. They did. And another interesting thing too is that the visions are in different colors, and it's like, um. It, like everything is in that tint. Like you can't really distinguish color, just darks and lights in that, in that one color. And apparently according to avatar wiki, um, these actually correspond with colors that are traditionally associated with these different chakras. So like and, red, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and, as you say, and they line up with what Wikipedia says about the colors for the chakra. Cause I have that up in front of me. So <laughs> go ahead. Beautiful. <laughs> Wikipedia learned this through Avatar. Um, so, like, red would go with the lowest form, and here it's earth. I, I don't know if that's the same in white. It is. Yep, they, they track perfectly, even in terms awesome. of parts, parts of the body, all that stuff. I know. I feel like I'm learning so much about this. Uh, so, Well, it, okay. is, it is a way to Trojan horse in some of these ideas. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so he starts with this earth chakra, dealing with survival and he says so it's dealed with it deals with survival and is blocked by fear and at this i thought about the significance of earth bending and the idea that and, and maybe this is a stretch i don't know but the idea that toff's lessons at the start when she was teaching ang were um, built on like fear as the thing that's preventing him from earth bending well um so it was interesting to hear that uh play out in the earth chakra Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
And then, so they're sitting across from each other. They're cross-legged in meditation. And we see Aang's vision. Uh, and Patik asks him, what are you most afraid of? And we see this montage of previous scenes we've already seen in red. This blue spirit grabbing Aang. Katara stuck under the earth in the first episode of the season. Um, the silhouette of the Fire Lord. Aang as the water spirit. Again, the Fire Lord standing before Aang. And everything is pitch black, uh, but illuminated by this fire that surrounds Aang. And he starts to scream. And Patik calls to Aang in his vision and says, Aang, your vision is not real. You are concerned for your survival, but you must surrender these fears. Let your fears flow down the creek. And so outside of Aang's vision, like real world Aang, um, he, he kind of starts moving from tense to calm. And in his mind the vision of the Fire Lord fades and he sees the cave and Patik again. And he had opened his earth chakra. So now he gets to move on to the second one. And so Patik and Aang are sitting across from each other on a mountaintop underneath a waterfall. And so this is the water chakra, which deals with pleasure and is blocked by guilt. And now, again, I... Now notice they don't say what part of the body this is. This is the only one where they don't say. Oh, Interesting. Can, can you guess why maybe they don't say? <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. What do you think? Well, I had a guess, and when I looked it up, I was right. So, so the 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 earth is the base of the spine. the The next one, the third one, is the is the stomach. So, what become what what is between the base of the spine and the stomach? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, the, it's the genitals right like that yeah. so they didn't want to say that i mean it's it is basically the the, the sex organs yeah so it's like they just creatively don't say that that's so funny because they could have just they could have just made it up but they didn't want to like they wanted to stick to what is accurate mm -hmm. and so they just omitted it for the sake of kids that's awesome <laughs> right because when i was making my chart i was like bottom of the spine blank stomach and i was like huh i wonder you know and yeah I so that's what it even, is. I did not even notice that. That's amazing. <laughs> another another interesting thing about this. So again, this is Wikipedia research. So let's not. <laughs> but but Wikipedia is pretty good. Uh, the that the so each each of these has also like a lotus symbol that goes with it, and the lotus symbol for water um, is represented with a lotus uh, within which the crescent moon is there symbolizing the water. So we have the moon and water combined. So yes. all these things coming together. That's awesome. Yeah. And then when I was thinking about water chakra too, um, it seems like pleasure and guilt are things that are born out of human relationship, right? Like, um, and with people. And that made me think about the water tribe and how that's built on community, right? Like we know that from Iroh drawing the symbols in the sand and telling Zuko about what it means to be in the water tribe. And so it's interesting that pleasure is also, or, you know, like, or delight or happiness is also associated with water and with Katara too. Uh, so we see a vision of Aang and he's running from the air temple. Um, and, Patik asks him, what do you blame yourself for? What is, what is the guilt that's burdening you? And Aang, um, he's in the Avatar state then and destroying General Fung's courtyard and harming the soldiers. So he's seeing all these things that he's feeling guilt about. And in the real world, he winces and whispers, I hurt all of those people. 
And Batik says, accept the reality that these things happen, but do not let them cloud and poison your energy. If you are to be a positive influence on the world, you need to forgive yourself. And so Aang takes a breath in through his nose and out through his mouth slowly and then smiles. And it seems like he was able to open up and let that guilt flow through. So now we are back at the Water Tribe encampment. And a man is explaining to Sokka that the bay they're at leads to the outskirts of Bossing Say, where they can take it, uh, or where they can send tangle mines to stop Fire Nation ships. And Sokka observes these tangle mines. They're like, <laughs> I describe them as large beanbag-sized tangle mines, right? Like they're pretty big, um, or like those balls that you bounce on, like to exercise your body or whatever. Yeah, Anyways. like a like a yoga ball, exercise ball. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the exercise ball. Yep. <laughs> Knew it had a name I should have known. So, uh, and then he hears that his dad, who's sitting with him, had invented the Tangle Mine. And Sokka says, destructive, buoyant, and terrible smelling. And Hakoda says, the mines are filled with skunk fish and seaweed. When a ship detonates the mine, the seaweed tangles up the propeller, and the foul smell forces them to abandon the ship. I call it the stink and sink and Sokka like roars with laughter. And the soldier nearby is like, Oh God, he has his father's humor. <laughs> um, and it did sound like an older Sokka explaining one of his plans, like the exact same. Right. I mean, and we, we see sort of creative scientific versions of Sokka and this is a version of that. So I, 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 yes. I like seeing, seeing Sokka in his father. Yep. For sure. And at this, a soldier runs up and tells Hakoda that four night Fire Nation ships were spotted nearby. And Hakoda then tells his men to ready for battle. And he includes Sokka in this too. And they exchange smiles, knowing that last time Sokka wasn't able to join them in fighting the Fire Nation. So then we go back to Boston Say. And we're in Iroh's cafe. Is at this point, is it called the Jasmine Dragon? It is because Sokka's or uh, Zuko's going to refer to it as that. Okay, perfect. So and I, uh, I will say I maybe have done some uh, internet searches for Jasmine Dragon merch, and they're definitely out there. There's some cool ones that it's like the uh, the Starbucks logo, but redone as the Jasmine Dragon. It's pretty sweet. Yes, I've seen that. There's a ton of TikTok videos of like people making all this stuff. It's so it's like mesmerizing. Uh, so we're at Iroh's Cafe, and I call it a cafe, but really it's more like a high end fancy restaurant than it is like a tea shop. Like there's these tables, there's these ornate rugs that have dragons on them. Interestingly, but everything is green like the Earth Kingdom. And Iroh says, who knew that when we entered this town as refugees, I'd end up owning my own tea shop. Follow your passion, Zuko, and life will reward you. And Iroh and Zuko are standing in the center of the shop, and they're wearing these beautiful Earth Kingdom robes, and they're looking at well-dressed patrons coming in um, and being seated. And Zuko congratulates his, his uncle with a smile and says, you deserve it. The Jasmine Dragon will be the best tea shop in the city. And I wrote that this smiley and kind Zuko, the way that the lines are even being delivered feels kind of off-putting. Is that, did you feel like uncomfortable by it or, or was it fine? <clears throat> I think it just feels different. I actually was struck by the fact that they don't seem like sarcastic or smarmy that I'd like, it actually feels like 
if he's trying on this identity in the way that Sokka is also trying on identities, like I think he's given it a real good faith effort. Mm -hmm. And I think Iroh's trying too. like, so he says, then um, I'm thankful because you decided to share this special day with me. It means more than, you know, and for me, that's like the most emotionally upfront Iroh has ever been with Zuko. Like Iroh will be moved to, to tears and like turn away, but he never really tells you go like, how much he means to him and Toph on the mountaintop when she first met Iroh was like maybe you should do that like maybe he needs to hear these things from you and so now we have both of them and their relationship feels like very healthy but even weirdly healthy I like I feel like this feels temporary don't you yeah it definitely feels like like it can't last I also think about and maybe this is good and realistic with Iroh but just this sense of like before his old the old tea shop he was working at like he was serving people more generally like you got the sense that clearly they got the attention of these upper ring people but like like regular folks could come in and get tea and now it it's become this elite thing and mm. now Iroh is from the elite of the elite because he's the first son of a fire lord but at the same time it's like oh Iroh don't you feel I, I I just like the class element of this. I'm like, I want Iroh to push back on that a little. But, you know, this is what happens when your dreams come true sometimes too, right? Is there are some of these, uh, you know, uh, concessions you have to make maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you can't control where, like, so many elements of your creativity and especially in bossing say you can't control when you're in the upper ring right like <laughs> right he got to name it but i don't know that he has much control outside of that um so we then go back to patik and ang who are sitting on the side of a tall peak and the third chakra is the fire chakra and patik says it's located in the stomach and this chakra deals with willpower and is blocked by shame. So again, if we're thinking about the bending elements, willpower and shame, like that is Zuko's internal struggle right there, summed up in two words. And um, I think I wrote in my notes, like maybe Zuko clinging to his own shame is what blocks him from being an excellent firebender like Azula. Like maybe that, because she's shameless, like she she doesn't hold on to shame at all. Um and, and well, so maybe it, that speaks to him. It made me think of the the conversation. I think during I think it's during bitter work when Zuko is learning to they're they're working on doing the lightning stuff, and you know Iroh talks to him about you know you must let go of your feelings of shame if you want your anger to go away. And Zuko says, "But I don't feel shame at all. I'm as proud as as ever." And Iroh says, "Prince Zuko, pride is not the opposite of shame, but its source. True humility is the only." antidote to shame so Iroh is definitely tapped into this notion of like part of part of the way to unleash your your potential as a firebender is to deal with pride and shame yeah absolutely and um oh man what was the name of the 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 fire master who left the fire nation John John also also somebody who deals with shame as Mm -hmm. well uh, so then we see the vision um, that Aang has, and he remembers literally playing with fire the first time he bends it, and he hurts Katara along that bank uh, with Zhang Zhang, actually, or after after being instructed by him. And his eyes are still closed in the real world with Patik, and he mumbles, I'm never going to firebend again. I can't. Like, that is his shame. 
And Batik says, you will never find balance if you deny this part of your life. You are the avatar and therefore you are a firebender. And so Aang then again inhales through his nose, exhales through his mouth, opens his eyes and says, hmm. And Batik quips that his chakra opened more like a burping bison than a flowing creek. And so I then love, we go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I love this idea that, that, um, that Patik goes right at Aang and, and, and says, you are a firebender. It's, not, it's mm. not that you're the avatar, but because you're the avatar, this is part of who you are. And you, you don't get to choose to not, to not be all of yourself if you're, if you're really going to be the avatar. I think that's, mm-hmm. as we start to move into book three Earth, or excuse me, book three Fire, I'm really interested in that idea of Aang needing to wrestle with not just I am capable of bending fire, but really I am a firebender. Because he had to do that with Earth, right? He had to do that with Earth. Water seemed to come a little more naturally, but um, but fire is going to be really interesting to see him wrestle with. Yeah, and they've laid especially- a lot of groundwork for that. Yeah, and especially with just like the historical cultural pain that is associated with the Fire Nation too. Like, there's so many different parts of it. Um, that he'll probably need to work through. Uh, so then we go back to Bossing Say, and we're on um, on these long steps leading up to the palace, and May and Ty Lee are just kind of lounging on the stairs and chatting with one another. And as they are, two men scale down these giant pillars behind them so they can't see, and they're listening to the conversation of the two girls. And May says, I'm tired of wearing these girly disguises. I don't know how anyone can fight in this. And Tylee says, maybe that's why it was so easy to beat the Kyoshi warriors and take their clothes. And May answers, how much longer do we have to serve the Earth King? If I have to clean up one more pile of bear poop, I'm going to throw up. Uh, which again, the Kyoshi warriors doing these tasks like cleaning up bear poop where it's like, okay, couldn't you get anyone else to do that? Like these well, are the women who are well-trained and it speaks to them also as security guards mm. you know or like the, the actual kiyoshi warriors like what's what's happening here yeah yes it's another example of something that just doesn't fit the skills and abilities that they have um and probably is gendered and tylee then reminds her that princess azula said they can leave once they capture the avatar and may shushes her because she said aloud princess azula She's talking about their Fire Nation identity like anybody could hear them. And so these two guards climb back up the pillar after overhearing this. And when they do, Azula turns a corner from just inside the palace. She was listening the whole time. And she approaches them and says, good work, girls. I'm sure the Dai Li will deliver the message, presumably to whoever their leader is. And so then we go back to Patik and we're at the fourth chakra which is located in the heart and it deals with love and is blocked by grief. Something that Aang has been wrestling with throughout the series, but specifically season two. And I will say this is the one that they don't name explicitly like what it, which chakra it is. And it is air, um, which is interesting because that's Aang's, but they don't actually say this is the air chakra. That's super interesting. Yeah. I was, it was, it's curious because I, I went back and watched that scene a couple times to be like, did I miss it? But no, they don't mention, they don't say it, but it's what it is. 
Yeah, I mean, like, they're, they're sitting below a statue of an air nomad woman who's kind of, like, watching over them with a blue tattoo marking. But other than that, like, you would have to really read into the surroundings to figure out what what it is. That's super... And the idea that, like, what is air, according to Iroh, it's, like, people who can live up outside of the world um, and maybe even outside of grief. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, because what's interesting is we're going to talk later. One of the later ones is going to be about earthly attachment, but that's what Iroh says about the air nomads is that they've, they were able to remove some attachment from this world. So that, that Mm. maybe is the, the sort of um, distancing from grief. (laughs) And we had multiple episodes about grief in this episode or in this season um, where they, they, they kind of really got in with that. I want to think about the statue of the, of the, the air nomad woman. Cause I think it is definitely an air nomad woman. They're in the Western air temple. Mm -hmm. Now the, the only other time we were here was with, Appa and Appa's memories of this was this was the time where we saw air nomad women so I think potentially this is a convent <laughs> as opposed to monastery I mean there at least possibly I mean to have this huge statue we didn't see any women in the northern and southern air temple like uh, memories of those things but we did in the west and it makes me wonder about the east I presume there's an eastern air temple and um, so there is to speak to your question about like, where are the women? Like this is also pointing to this, this, this symbol in the background, the statue in the background is also pointing to a group that has been in, in, in the most destructive ways, literally silenced in that they no longer exist. Mm. Hmm. I think you're right. Cause there's two statues of women. There's this one that they're, and then there's another lar- even larger one, like huge. Like I'm thinking like statues of Buddha when I've like traveled to different temples mm-hmm. in Korea, like that size. Um, and like that amount of like kind of majesty of the statue. So yeah, I think it must be a con- like a convent. I guess that's what we would call it. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cool. Uh, so, okay. So, Patik says to Aang, lay all your grief in front of you. And so in Aang's vision, it's this green tinted mist. And floating, he's floating cross-legged in the sky, surrounded by mist. And he sees nothing around him until out of these green clouds below emerged the Air Nomad Council, including Monk Yatso. And then many more Air Nomads appear sitting behind them. And they're all cross-legged and they're all... Um, they have their eyes closed and they look solemn. And to me, the way that they're sitting, it's like everyone is equidistant from each other. Um, and they kind of start with one person at the center and go out like a triangle. And it looked so organized that it reminded me of like a tomb or a graveyard. Like it was, at first Aang is smiling, but it felt ominous from the start. And one by one, this green mist uh, envelops each person and causes them to vanish, and they float upward into the sky. And so Aang reaches out to them, but his body is pulled away by this unseen force. And Patik says from outside the vision, You have indeed felt a great loss, but love is a form of energy and it swirls all around us. The air nomad's love for you has not left this world. It is still inside of your heart and is reborn in the form of a new love. 
And then the green clouds where everyone disappeared into, they start to form into the shape of Katara's face. So then back with Patik, Aang has tears streaming down his face, but he's smiling. So then we go to the middle of some ruins and they're sitting under, again, that giant, uh, a new giant statue of an air nomad woman. And the fifth chakra is sound and it's located in the throat and it deals with truth and it's blocked by lies. The ones that we tell ourselves. Now, what's interesting is <clears throat> this one in terms of uh, what they call it. So they call this sound in the thing that I'm reading this is also referred to in, <clears throat> rather than sound as space. So we think about like we have these four elements and then the next one is the space around the elements and sound works mm -hmm. in that way too, right? Because sound is this thing that moves through space. So I think that's, that, that, that's really interesting because what we're seeing as we sort of climb up this ladder is we move from the most solid thing, earth to water, which is, <clears throat> tactile you can touch it right it it has mass but it it is uh it's fluid and liquid rather than solid then you move to fire which is um doesn't have mass at all right um but it has like a specific presence to air which is this like diffuse presence that's that's you know even more dispersed and, dif and diffuse from air to space right the the thing that the elements are part of and then we're going to see that the two things that come after that are even, I mean, uh, in terms of thinking about even like Platonic philosophy, it's like we're climbing the ladder mm. from the most material to the most spiritual. Mm. Yes, I love that. I had not noticed that it went from, from something tactile to something kind of abstract. I love that. So uh, it's... It deals with truth and lies, the lies we tell ourselves. And so the vision that Aang has is Katara asking Aang why he didn't tell them that he was the Avatar. And Aang says aloud in his vision, because I didn't want to be. And Batik answers him and says, you cannot lie about your own nature. You must accept that you are the Avatar. And Aang inhales and exhales and envisions himself standing confidently watching over the land and it's actually from the start um it's from the intro uh um scene of every episode what's that called <laughs> i can't think yeah the, the, the intro i think yeah yeah <laughs> couldn't think of that um and he smiles and his chakra of truth is opened he realizes i had been lying to myself about not wanting to be the avatar or not being it so then on a pathway leading up the mountain they um are sitting and talking about the sixth chakra, which is light. And it's located in the center of the forehead. It deals with insight and is blocked by illusion. And the greatest illusion of this world, according to Batik, is the illusion of separation. Things you think are separate and different are actually one and the same. And so then we see a vision of Aang looking at the map of the world, separated by its boundaries and its colors of the different nations. But as he's looking at it, uh, all those different colors and boundaries fade and it all becomes one. And Aang says, like the, like the four nations, they're one and the same. And Batik said, yes, we are all one people, but we live as if we're divided. And Aang echoes him, we're all connected, everything is connected. Which reminded me of um, 
the swamp episode where he's mm-hmm. standing at the tree and every that's the lesson that we learned there from another figure who's like a self-proclaimed guru right and and it's it's also what we hear from iroh and bitter work when he's drawing the symbols it's like these things seem separate but but he's talking about the sort of interconnectedness of learning from these others so i mean this is a message that uh this is not the first time that we are hearing this but it it really starts to it starts to hit home with this and what i like mm-hmm. about um so this one you said is is light right and so if we're thinking about moving from from the physical to the spiritual right light is this thing which like space doesn't have mass or sound right um and light is this thing which allows us to, which moves through space and allows us to see and take in those solid things right so it's still tied up with this world and with vision mm. right because you we can't see without light um so we couldn't take in the so light is about helping us it's this non-physical thing that helps us interpret the physical mm. yes yes and patik says if you open your mind you'll see all the elements are even one all four elements And then he says, even metal is just a part of the earth that has been purified and refined. How excited did you get when you heard this? Because you know where this is headed, right? You know where the cut is coming. Yes. Okay. So I knew, I knew that Toph learned how to metal bend. I did not remember when this happened or why it happened. But when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, this is happening now. I was so excited. How about you? Yeah, I, I just, I mean, because I was thinking there's no way for Toph to get out. And I've always wondered, like, isn't metal earth? Like, like is it like, because it, it is like, they're just uh, minerals. I mean, steel, these are just minerals or elements that are part of the earth. If you, if you grab a piece of soil, right, that there's all these things and there's metals in there. So I was like, and, but we know that earthbenders don't bend metal. But I just thought there's got to be a way. And then I thought about the sand benders. And I'm like, oh, there's like subset benders who bend a particular. Because Toph was, sand was a problem for her, but it wasn't for the sand benders. So then I, was, I remember even in that episode thinking like, well, are there people who can bend metal? Because metal, it seems like just another version of that. So when I heard this, I was like, Toph's about to level up. That, <laughs> I just was so excited. I know I was so happy for her because she's always been amazing and it seemed like there was nowhere else that she could go from there. But then there's one last obstacle and she nails it. So uh, while Patik is saying that, we cut to a scene of um, her in that metal cage or in that metal box rather. And um, she does this series of like specific bending moves, touching different parts of the metal I'm feeling it. So we get a little bit of like the tough sensing vision of um, where her hands and feet are laying. And she inhales and exhales deeply through her nose, out her mouth, the same way that Aang had been doing in front of Patik. And she stomps her foot and punches the air in front of the metal. And as she does, the metal bends. And she says, Toph, you rule. And then we don't get to sit there long, though, because we go to Katara and Momo, who are walking through Bossing Say with the scroll to go bring it to the king for his seal. And they decide that they want to stop for tea. But where should they stop in the upper ring? So they walk into the Jasmine Dragon. And uh, she requests a table for two for her and Momo. 
and uh, she hears Zuko's voice calling to his uncle about servicing a table. And then she finds where the voice is coming from and sees his scar. And she sees Iroh in like an apron and her eyes widen and she runs out immediately to the palace. Now I'm thankful that she did stop for tea, <clears throat> but why is she stopping? Like she has the most important job. And so she goes to this, you know, council of five generals, like, okay, I'll buy that. But it's like really on the way back. You're like, yeah, why don't we just have a snack? Well, it's, like it, it's troubling. This is, this is a troubling choice by guitar. Now it's really important because we need this to happen. I was excited because I knew when she said that it's like, Oh, she's going to find them and something's going to happen. So the part of me that loves the plot and the story was excited, but this seems a little out of character for Katara, doesn't it? Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to defend Katara's choice here, even though it's a weird one. She, when the whole group is together, she is always functioning as the person keeping everyone in line, always goal oriented. Where do we need to go next? What kind of supplies do we need? Who is hungry? Like she's always playing. So I feel like once everyone's gone, she's like, Hey mama, we can get some tea. Like, right. Like all of our friends and family, whenever we're out, they always want to do all these little side things for themselves. So like, it's my turn. Treat myself. That's a good point because she's also the one who in tales of bossing say is like spa day. Like, and so, so, so it's not like we haven't seen this before. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's yeah. just like, it's real weird timing. Like, <laughs> I don't know that this is the time to do that. But I also, I know that feeling of like, you know, my family's out of town. And it's like, oh, I can just have anything I want for day. Like, I can just make choices that are different. So, yeah, yeah. No, I get yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and yeah. Good for her. Good for her. Kind of a weird choice to be like, we could just get tea to go. But instead, let's have a table for two. Me and my monkey want to sit down and like with our scroll for the king. I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of bizarre. Um, so she runs away screaming, basically. Then uh, it's nighttime, nightfall. And Aang and Patik are sitting under these beautiful, this expanse of stars. And Patik says, once you are able to open this last chakra, you will be able to go in and out of the avatar state at will. And when you are in the avatar state, you will have complete control and awareness of your actions. And so the last chakra is thought. And it's located at the crown of the head. And it deals with pure cosmic energy and is blocked by earthly attachment. Meditate on what attaches you to this world. And so Aang is in a vision entirely in purple. And he has different memories, but they're only of Katara. And Batik says, now let all of these attachments go. Let them flow down the river forgotten. And Aang awakens at the word forgotten. And he's distraught. And he says, why would I let go of Katara? I love her. And Patik says, learn to let her go, or you cannot let the pure cosmic energy flow in from the universe. So Aang pushes back at, uh, with Patik again and says, why would I choose cosmic energy over Katara? How could it be a bad thing to feel attachment to her? Three chakras ago, that was a good thing. Okay, Sam, in my notes, <laughs> I have a Star Wars reference. Get ready. This reminded me of, now I have watched this episode a lot, but it reminded me of Anakin and Padme, right? And they're talking about like how to be a Jedi, you can't have attachment. Uh, and 
And Anakin says, like, no, actually, I think love is what makes me a better Jedi, right? Like, it makes me um, better. It makes me want to find good in the world. And so it reminded me of that, of, like, again, that struggle of, like, a Jedi is a human, but also has a special role. An avatar is a human, but also is almost godlike. What are you going to choose? Like, to choose a path that's more mortal and human, or to choose a path that is maybe more altruistic, um, but doesn't give you the benefits of like falling in love with somebody um, and creating a life with somebody. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this, this runs throughout a lot of sort of the, the lives of sort of deeply spiritual people. We think about monks and nuns and church leaders in Western, you know, in, in Western religion um, and, and in other things like, like right this, this question of, of how much do I detach from this world how much do I celebrate and love this world? This is and, and that, that there's a tension in there. And you know, ultimately the question is, is there a way that by doing by by detaching that you can circle back to love? That like the things you give up are the things you get. Mm. You know? Um yeah, I, I this this is where this I just love I I love this sort of getting into the spirituality of this world. Um uh and and it's a question that I've often had is like, can Aang actually love katara is that okay my daughter and i and just for everybody my daughter and my actually my whole family they're now watching avatar so they're as caught up as i am um in the show my daughter started to listen to this so at some point esme will hear us talk about this but we had this big (laughs) conversation about like kind of characters that were shipping or not and i was like i just don't know whether you can be the avatar like whether the show tells me you can or not i don't know if i accept that like you can be the avatar and like have a family like like it's see that seems like something you shouldn't be able to do it seems like mm. like those attachments would be a problem and that's always that's sort of always been this tension and in whether it should be or not is is a another question but i really love this and this <clears throat> this also reminds me you know i mean we're talking a lot about sort of uh kind of hindu religion philosophy uh, hindu buddhism kind of mixed together here but this also is is elements of western philosophy right this is this is very platonic to say that this highest level is the one when we get to the chakra of thought which is located at the crown of the head in the mind where we have the ability to reason plato would talk about meditating on these non-physical eternal forms and plato is you know unsure about the things of this world right like so even even core elements of western philosophy also are deeply tied to this 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 sort of notion about like how much do we need to kind of not be so attached you know to the things of this world even looking at western christianity someone like augustine in the city of god he's actually trying to find a way to balance this because he's talking about the good of this world and being part of this Mm. world but also holding it holding it loosely and thinking about you know the the christian's true citizenship is in this eternal non-physical kingdom of god and so like like these are these are themes which is what's so cool about this show. Again, it's introducing kids to uh, core ideas of philosophy. I can't wait for this. Av- and we, we actually are experiencing it now, right? This avatar generation to hit college. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, remember when <laughs> Patik and, and Aang were talking about this? It's like, that's what Plato was talking about. Or that's what yeah. Hinduism is talking about. Or that's what Buddhism is talking about. Like, like mm. it's it's such a it's actually such a great moment for kind of different world religions to say yeah this is asking some fundamental questions 
And I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the whole point of, of going through the chakra exercise is yes, to open up the energy flow in his body. But why, why does he have to do that? Because in the avatar state, he wants to be able to control himself, to control his actions uh, when he's in this heightened space. And uh, how does he do that? By like getting in control of um, his body and then also like letting his his mind control his body, right? Like it's so it's so good. <laughs> right. And I mean, and, and it's, we can also see echoes of uh, Plato's three-part soul here, right? Yes. That those, those lower chakras are appetitive. Even think about where they are in the body. They're in the sex organs. They're in the stomach, right? And then we mm. move up to the heart and the throat, right? That's where we find emotion and honor and those things. And only after that do we get up to the the mind. And, and Plato would say that the, the well-ordered soul is the one where the mind doesn't destroy those other, those, uh, the appetites and the emotions and, uh, and, and things that desire honor, but instead like is able to harness and control them, right? Yeah, so so I mean, all of those things matter and they flow, but it needs to flow in the right directions. Yeah, and you can see, like, you could look through Aang's experiences in the Avatar state through that lens of, like, the three parts of the soul and be like, oh, right, because when he was in that state, what was causing him to do this damage? It was the emotions that he didn't have control over and he wasn't um, engaging with and, like, uh, trying to figure out outside of the avatar state. So they were able to take control over the reason or the mind that would have said, I need to slow down. I, I can't destroy whatever's in my path. So good, yeah. right? Like it's so yeah. good. Oh, this is, <clears throat> this is slowly becoming the great avatar episode in, in some way. <laughs> it's really <laughs> good. Okay. So Katara, um, we go back to Katara and she's running through the palace toward the Kyoshi warriors. Uh, and she, before she gets there, she's like yelling at them from down this long hallway. And she says, thank goodness you're here, Suki. The Fire Nation has infiltrated the city. I just saw Prince Zuko and his uncle. We have to tell the Earth King right away. And Azula's eyes widen just again for a second. And she stands up, but she regains composure. And she walks toward Katara to reveal her identity and says, I'll be sure to let him know. And when they realize who she is, Momo flies off screeching. Uh, but before Katara can run, Tai Lee leaps and jabs at her shoulder and paralyzes Katara in a pool of water from her empty bending pouch. And we see her lying on the ground in a pool of water from above. And Azula stands above her and says, so Zuzu's in the city. I think it's time for a family reunion. And Momo watches from a pillar and then flies away. And we don't see Momo for the rest of the episode. That's right. So one of the, uh, this is yet another example of like somebody just running up to Azula and saying, hey, why don't I just dump a bunch of important information on you before I realize who you are? I mean, this is, this is Azula as Jimmy Fallon. Once again, it's like, let's just give you stuff, you know? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, so Aang then continues to push back against Patik uh, on this idea of detaching uh, from the people he loves. But Patik convinces him to try to surrender himself once again for the sake of controlling himself in the Avatar state. And so we enter into Aang's vision again. It's purple, there's mountains and this rocky terrain, and there's these stars cascading through the sky at incredible speeds. Um, it's almost like time is moving quickly. 
And Batik says, now think about your attachments and let them go. And Katara's figure floats in, in Aang's vision and then off into the stars far away. And so Aang's body then floats into a galaxy high above, all still in purple. And he floats to this thin path that's made of stardust. And he balances and walks towards this giant floating Avatar State Aang. So this gets real meta. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about Avatar State Aang, who is massive, like um, even bigger than those like Buddha statues I was referring to before. Um, and then there's Aang himself. And as Aang walks closer, his tattoos begin to glow. And the Avatar State Aang uh, floats down to meet normal Aang and holds him inside of this orb in his giant two hands. But then Aang turns when he hears Katara scream and his vision is interrupted by a vision of her tied up. And Aang then runs away from this orb, uh, runs down the pathway away from Avatar Aang who disappears. And the path then disappears from underneath Aang and he plummets towards the earth. And he wakes up with a start and he tells Batik that he has to leave to save Katara from danger. And Batik pleads for him to stay uh, since Aang hasn't locked his chakra, right? Like he needs to get through the full process or he won't be able to go into the Avatar state at all. Um, but Aang hesitates for a second and then continues to leave. He goes and finds Appa. So this is, I mean, this is where we just get Super Empire Strikes Back. I mean, this is literally what happens to Luke at Dagobah, right? He's he's training with Yoda. He's becoming more and more powerful. He's really starting to understand the Force. And he has this vision of his friends in trouble. And he has this conversation, this exact conversation with Yoda about, like, I have to go. I have to go save my friends. And Yoda's like, if you leave now... You you won't complete your training. You you know, and you're you're basically walking right into uh, right into the to Vader's plan. And and Luke has to choose: Do I save my friends or do I continue in this training? And we see at the end of uh, we we see Luke fly off uh, in Empire in the same way. In this episode, we have I guess it's not Millennium Appa because it would be like an X-wing Appa at this point, right? <laughs> that he goes, but he goes because he's like I I have to go do this. Um, and Yoda is basically talking with him about earthly attachment there as well, being like, like, I know you love your friends, you care about your friends, but like this is this and this this echoes the Anakin stuff. Like to be a Jedi means to let go of those things mm. and to say, like, your true duty is to this much larger uh, I was going to say much larger power, but power it's it's not even power. It's like this much larger spiritual um, understanding of the universe, you know, and the role you play in it. And the stakes are higher for um, leaving, right? Like, like if he were to stay, either of them, like, it's for the purpose of saving the world versus saving your friends. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. totally. So then we go back and we're with Toph and we see her bend through the metal box uh, when they're traveling at night. And the bounty hunters stop and they think it's a trick. So they walk to the back of the box, but they see that the metal is split open and no one's inside the box. But instead, Toph is standing triumphantly behind them. And they say, like, is this a trick? And she says, it's not a trick. It's the real deal. And she earth bends them into the box and then metal beds them inside so that they're stuck right up next to each other. 
And she sa- she stands on top of the carriage and says, I am the greatest earthbender in the world. Don't you two dunderheads ever forget it. Uh, which is something that it, they accused her of thinking that she was earlier in the episode. And so she jumps down um, and runs at breakneck speed. And she runs by like bending the earth beneath her to get her going, almost like a wave of water. It was the coolest display of power. <clears throat> yes. And it, it makes me want, uh, I don't know, it's late in, the, in this episode, but I'm going to pitch one other spinoff. And it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a competition style reality show like Top Chef or something like that. But like, I want to see Earthbender or maybe like Earthbender's Got Talent or Earth Kingdom's Got oh. Talent. Like, I want to see different displays of earthbending power because like i want to know like who actually is the who actually is the greatest earthbender because like Toph probably is but it's like but i always i always wonder like boomy could boomy do this because we know boomy's stuck in that metal box but we know he's choosing to be stuck in that metal box like could boomy uh bend metal like i just like i want i want to just i want to for each one of these uh nations or tribes i want to be like can we have like the competition where it's like, well, you, well, I can do this. So it's sort of like, um, uh, maybe like, so you think you can dance or something, but yeah. for better. Oh my gosh. Or like almost like a variety show style, like America's got talent because you mm-hmm. know, you're going to get that one person who's like a metal bender. And it's like, you could do great things, but then they're just like making the metal art that you put in your gardens, you know, like, yes. or like <laughs> the fork statues, <laughs> you like bend the forks. right? And, and I would say the hosts for this are easy. Because the hosts are basically um, Toph, Aang, Katara, and and Zuko, right? Like you just yeah. take your you just take your 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 the 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 core benders that we have. Ooh, they're the judges. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, they're the judges. The Sokka host. can host them. He can be like Seacrest. Ooh, I was gonna say the Boulder. <laughs> Oh, actually, that's even better. I, want, I just want him somewhere. You know <laughs> what? So you, you know what? That's the best. You're right. Because he is sort of like The Rock, and The Rock would be great at it. Yes. You, I, I am going to stand down, and you are right to Boulder host this show. <laughs> I love this. Okay. <laughs> wow. Toph, anyway. would be like, Toph would be like the mean judge. Yes. And Zuko would be oddly more supportive than we expect, and like... Uh, Katara would be like the the nurturing judge, and Aang yes. would be like the funny judge. Wow, this again, Nickelodeon, like, just give us all the money, and we'll take care and of this. Yes, Katara and Aang would have like sexual tension as judges, and it would yep. be like they would play off of that all. The t- yep, yep, uh-huh. great. But maybe occasionally um, a little Katara Zuko too. Yeah, right. And it's yeah. even you wondering, you're mm-hmm. like, don't go to yep. commercial yet. Um, okay, so. Back at the water drive encampment, the warriors are all preparing to leave um, to go uh, confront these four Fire Nation ships. And Sokka tells his dad, like, I'm really excited to make you proud of me and to show you the warrior that I've become. And Hakoda puts his hand on Sokka's shoulder and he tells him that he doesn't have to prove anything to him. And he says, why do you think I trusted you to look after our tribe when I left? And I feel like that little line, I mean, this is all like, you could look at it as kind of like a cheesy, like father-son moment. But I think that line is really important because it's something where so much of the time, like in parent-child situations, there's not really communication of why decisions are being made. And so with that miscommunication, you grow up with this misunderstanding, right? And like, 
that really can mess with someone's identity. And Sokka is somebody who had misinterpreted why his dad had left him behind um, because he thought it was because I'm not good enough. But really what his father was saying was like, no, you are good enough. I need you to stay here. That's an important task. It's just that was never conveyed before. And let me say this. I mean, you say, and you're not wrong to say like this, moments like this have the potential to feel cheesy. I'm going to say something as a parent. I can't believe th- this is actually true. Like I'm a parent roughly of the kids, the ages of Katara and Sokka. When I think about it, I have a 15 and a 13 year old. So like we're close, right? <laughs> to the ages of them. And mm-hmm. I will say, if you spend your time, and this is, this is my advice to any parents out there. If you spend your time as a parent worried about, is this going to, is this going to sound cheesy or corny? Like you're going to leave a lot of important things left unsaid, you know, and being a parent is not about, I want to be like, you have to give up your coolness, like what you're worried about there. Cause sometimes you need to just tell people you love them. And some, and this is what Toph was saying, right. <clears throat> to, to Iroh. Sometimes you need to just tell them. And sometimes you need to just be like, wow, I, what I'm saying sounds unbelievably corny, but you know what? It's, it's just the thing like you just need to tell them i mean there's moments with with my kids where i'll just be like i am really proud of you and you cannot say that without sounding a little corny but like you gotta say it yeah like you just have to yeah yeah and and like i think that'll be really healing for Sokka in this episode to hear his dad say that to be like i knew you were a warrior like yeah there was never a doubt um and that's why i had you stay behind And so they walk towards the ship. And at that, though, Appa flies in and lands with Aang uh, Aang there. And without saying a word, Sokka can see from Aang's face. And he says, this can't be good. Um, Because it's supposed to be a week. And so the three of them all fly off together. And they leave Hakoda behind. And we see this last shot of Hakoda on his ship. But he's smiling, like knowing that his son is where he should be. Uh, So then back at the palace, the Dai Li agents escort Azula down the dungeon hallways to Longfang's cell. And Azula asks, um, she's kind of playing stupid here. She asks why they're treating a Kyoshi warrior like this. And Longfang says he knows who she is and he wants to make a deal. And Azula acts like she isn't already leagues ahead of this, right? Like she hadn't orchestrated this herself, but she's like, what kind of deal is this? Like what, what could you possibly offer me the princess? And Longfang says, it's time that I regain control of Ba Sing Se, and you have something I need, the Earth King's trust. And he tells her that in return of gaining the Earth King's trust on his behalf, he can get her the Avatar. And she was like, hmm, I think we should talk about this deal. This sounds like one I could do. I just, I love Azula is like, just playing 4D chess. Like she's just, and everybody else is playing checkers. Like she's way out ahead of people. And these are all very intelligent people, but she's ahead of them. Well, and, and so I, I need to say, I've been kind of insulting Azula as like, oh, she's just right place, right time. But, like, but no, she's also, the, she's also a prodigy. She's also a genius in terms of these mm-hmm. things as well. Uh, but she also has the advantage of right place, right time. I mean, she's like, has all of those things, which makes me like, kind of like Azula. I mean, like, like she's the worst, but it's like, Man, it's kind of what you wanted in a villain for this show. Like, yeah, she, it's almost, she's in, she's she's running things right now. 
yeah, it's like I I hate her, but I respect her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, uh, so uh, then we go to the tea shop, and Iroh receives a message from the royal palace. And he's reading through the scroll, and uh, his face is pretty um, emotionless at first, and then he starts to get really excited. And he tells Zuko that they've been invited to serve tea to the Earth King. And Zuko smiles, and Iroh rushes off in excitement to get ready. Now, as somebody who's w watching the show, like we obviously know this is a trap, right? Yeah. Okay, but even if we didn't know that, even if we were somebody living through this and we were around them, I would say what I said when they started the Jasmine dragon. Like, do you want to draw that kind of attention to yourself? Do you want to like have an audience with now really powerful people in the military and all this stuff? It's like, you're on wanted posters. People know what you look like. You're yes. the dragon of the West. Like, don't, I, I just, I, Iroh is so tactical, but it's, it's almost like he's, as he's achieved his dream, there's just things that's like, uh, is, is nobody going to say this is a bad idea? I don't know. Yes. Maybe I'm <laughs> For wrong. sure. No, like, it's weird that his judgment is so off at this point, but it's like, I think he finally sees this world where he can, I mean, it's like him and, and Zuko, who's essentially his son now, and like the two of them living this life that they created on their own as like coming up from refugees, it probably feels so refreshing. And then to... It, probably not wanting to face some of these maybe um i don't know conflicts with who he is really it, it's deeply believable it's just yeah. troubling yeah yes absolutely so um the last shot that we have of the episode is long fang in his cell and the door closing on him and azula being escorted off with the two guards and her head is kind of hung low but we get a close-up of her face and there's this faint smile that spreads across it. And that's the end. It's all teeing us up, Sam, for the last episode. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, as I said at the beginning, everybody is now moving towards this same fixed point. And, you know, we saw a little bit of this in the chase when we saw this moment where it's like everybody showed up in one spot and are literally shooting their powers at one at one at one space and it's like mm -hmm. that was our that was our teaser for what clearly this next episode is going to be because ev everybody's going to be in bossing say uh and then people have been in bossing say all at the same time but now they're like all there pointed in the same location the same direction and yep. what it's going to allow us to do is to reshuffle this deck a little bit and i don't know what we're going to look at coming out what we're going to look like coming out on the other side Right, because we have this transformed Zuko, we have uh, Earth Kingdom Iroh, we have almost we have leveled up leveled up Toph, we have Katara in chains, we have a reinvigorated Sokka. Um, we have double agent Azula, <laughs> and and we have uh, Ang on the precipice of realizing his powers, uh, wrestling with an existential ontological choice, like. Okay, what more what what more do you want? It's yes. all there. Yes. Um one question I had at the end of the episode which like kind of leans into like everyone's there except not everyone's there because where's Momo? Like 
he sees Katara in trouble and then flies off. And I almost expected him to be the one to like somehow find Aang and Patik and like interrupt the vision and like get him to go back. But oh. because he was the one who like Aang left Momo to take care of Katara, right? So that's what I thought. But of course, that would take a long time. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm curious, where is Momo? What's his like? What is he going to be doing in the next episode? Because that had to have been intentional. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I have two more where is. <clears throat> Where's the Earth King? Oh, yeah. Like, he's just, I mean, as I, I assume he's imprisoned somewhere, but like, where? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't, I, like, he just, after that first scene, he's just not in this episode. Um, yep. So I'm curious to see that. Um, where is Suki? Like I realize yeah. she's not going to show up in this. I can't imagine she shows up in this next episode, but I'm worried about her because I did do a look and I was looking at the, what may and Tylee and, and Azula were wearing. And I was like, they're wearing Kyoshi garb, but are they actually wearing like, is anybody wearing Suki's clothes? Cause all the Kyoshi mm-hmm. warriors have like different, like they're, it's like the same uniform, but like different. And, and, um, Azula is definitely wearing Suki's. Okay. So like I that was one of the things I wanted to check. I'm like like the headpiece is the same with like the kind of sticks coming flat and then at an angle and it's like okay, that's definitely Suki. So like so where is Suki? Is she is she dead? I mean, like yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. But I also like it would make sense if she was, but like that would be super dark. And it's so, like, I feel like we're going to come back to that at some point. I, what I wonder is we've seen twice that sort of comic book freeze frame when they're fighting. Are we going to get a flashback to see the rest of that scene? Yeah. I want, I want to know, like, 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 so, so there's that. Um, the yeah. other big question I have is this episode ends with Aang having to make this choice and he makes his choice just like Luke makes his choice. <clears throat> and we're aware in, in empire you know what danger luke is in by making that choice what danger is ang in mm. right now because because I, I i assume he's going to show up in bossing say to try to solve things and fix things and he's a very powerful being but like he's also incomplete in his training so what risk is he at what danger is he in that's a big mm-hmm. question i wonder about mm-hmm uh, my one other observation from this show, and this goes back to stuff we talked about at the end of season one, um, where it's like Aang keeps encountering kind of jerky teachers. <laughs> you know, uh, Paku's kind of a jerk. Jong Jong is kind of like, yeah. like sometimes intentional. It's like, I need to be harsh to you to, to teach you the realities of this. Um, and then we have Katara, who is the opposite kind of teacher. And we have Toph, who is one of those like tough teachers and we have that tension. Um, what's interesting with Patik is that Patik is again, a, a, a soft kind of yielding teacher, you know? And I, and I find that really interesting that that, that, that what Katara says about says to Toph about how to teach Aang is basically what, what Patik does, you know, yeah. Patik like pushes him and, but is also like, uh, very supportive. Like I actually like that's the kind of teacher that Aang needs. Right. Like willing to come alongside and guide him through concepts he doesn't understand yet, rather than just assume that he should understand it or push him to get it on his mm-hmm. own. Yeah. For or, sure. or, and or to say, I'm going to make this as hard on you as I possibly can. <laughs> I was amazed right. when it's like, 
he does this great teaching about with the pools of water. And then it's like, Aang is just clipping through the chakras. It wasn't like this one's going to be hard. And this one's just like, Nope, here's what it is. All right, do this. All right. Now here's what you need to do. And and it's like, uh, so this is, this show is also giving people these different visions of like what it means to be a coach or a teacher or a mentor. And it's not that those more harsh ones are wrong. I don't think Toph is wrong. Because we also see that that's an important thing, less than Ag needs to learn, but but that there are these different styles and types of teaching as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, Annie, this uh, this is one of my favorite episodes. I feel like there's <laughs> both both of Avatar, but also of Avatar with academics. I was sort of wondering. Sometimes I have this fear of like, are we contributing anything to this show other than rehashing what happened? But you know. I feel like as we talk through this, this is kind of in our wheelhouse of things that we're interested in in terms. I mean, we teach a course where we teach some philosophy and, and religion and things like this. And it's like, Oh, this is one, this is an episode where we got into philosophy and religion a little bit. So mm-hmm. I really, I really, really uh, enjoyed this conversation particularly. Yeah. And we had I, so many, so many spinoffs, so many. Yes. Well, there's that yes. too. <laughs> uh, and I can't wait for our next episode. If you're, uh, enjoying the show, you should email us channel 3900 at gmail.com as we move into season three. I want to try to get some some more guests on. I want to try to circle back to some guests. I've been emailing with Jasmine Griffin and she's she actually said, Oh, I'd love to be on a I'd love to talk more as you get into season three. So I'm pitching her. I said, just tell us the episode you want to be on and we'll uh, we'll have you on again because like I really I really want to hear <coughs> hear her thoughts. Um, like I said, I now have my immediate family has watched and is watching the show. My daughter's listening. So, uh, Esme, if you can hear me, uh, you're going to be a guest on this show, whether you like it or not, we're going to, we're going to work on you to get you to be a guest. And I want to circle back maybe to some of the students that we had on, um, and talk with them as we go sort of further into this. So email us channel 3900 at gmail.com. Check out avatar with academics, uh, dot wordpress.com, um, to, find all of our old episodes. You can leave comments there, interact with us there, and we will be back next week to wrap up season two with book to earth chapter 19, the crossroads of destiny.